This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Peter Klein on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. What a Monday it's been, PK. I don't know, man. That first hour flew by. <laughs> huh. Well, we should be. I should be on. Oh, is that? Huh? 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 Can you hear me now? I still can't hear you. Great. Can the producers hear you? Prods, can we hear Peter? Yeah, we can. Sweet. Oh. <laughs> I don't even know what to say anymore. It's good to be back. It, no. is, it is great to be back. <laughs> You know, at least I can tell you we are live here at Bears Paw Golf and Country Club for the Sportsnet 960. Other way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for the Sportsnet 960 Celebrity Golf Tournament. Uh, hour one, apologies. We uh, dealt with some difficult uh, technical difficulties here at the golf course, but we've got, uh, we believe, everything ironed out and ready to go for the next couple of hours. Seems like it. We, we <laughs> sure hope, uh, because God knows it can't get any better than it's already been. So uh, he's Peter Klein. I'm Logan Gordon again. Uh, apologies for the technical difficulties that we had during hour one of the program, but we are back. We are live and we are ready to go. Uh, we got lots to get to. We get to rehash our Blue Jays chat, PK, because <laughs> that just never happened. Uh, but we've also got a ton of CFL to talk. Uh, a huge week in the CFL in the books, and we are set for Labor Day weekend. It's already here. Week 12 is in the books. Stamps fell to the Argos. We'll get to the Stamps and the fallout from that in a little bit. But uh, last night something happened in Edmonton that hasn't happened in a very, very long time, and that is the Edmonton Elks picked up a win at home. And, man, oh, man, Trey Ford seems legit. And don't look now, Stamps fans, 3-8. and eight. Elks are 2-9 and nine coming into Calgary next Monday for what's going to be a massive game at McMahon Stadium. And uh, very happy right now as we kick off this hour of the program. To head down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline to chat all things Edmonton Elks, the color voice of the Elks joining us from 6.30. Chet, it's Dave Campbell along with us this afternoon. Dave, thank you for the time. Apologies uh, about the timing issues, but thank you for joining us today. No problem at all, Logan. I, I get it. I'm in the business. I understand technical <laughs> difficulties happen, so and they're annoying, but I uh, hope everything's okay now. We're doing great. Thank you again for the time and, and your understanding today. Uh, just tell us the general mood. What was it like at Commonwealth Stadium as the seconds ticked down on the first Elks win at home in a long time? You know, it was it was complete joy, uh, I think, once the, the clock hit zero. I think prior to that, I, I think there was a bit of a, 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 of a quiet confidence and, and overall pretty content feeling within the stadium, but you know, until the clock ticked down to zero, 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 I think there was still a little bit of 
angst and uh i mean myself i described the fourth quarter how i felt personally was just complete agony um because you just you know you just felt okay tonight could be the night but you didn't want to get your hopes up because guys i've got my hopes up on a number of occasions or, or several you know a few occasions in the past thinking this was the night and or the day and it never happened so but you know uh, i don't want to sound hokey when i say this but Honestly, it was probably the most uh, joy I felt in the stadium since probably the 2015 West Final win over the Stampeders back in 2015, the year when the when the team won when the Elks uh, won the Grey Cup. And look, it's going to sound a little hokey, maybe, but unless you know, you know, it's one of those if you know, you know. This has been a lot of pain in this city with this football team for the last, you know, since this streak started. Uh, for the most part, but really since the 2021 season, of course, we didn't have a season in 2020 and it's been turmoil. It's been, you know, this, this organization, the team has been the butt of jokes for, you know, other fan bases. And um, I, I got a feeling yesterday when I was, you know, I didn't look at Twitter until really after the game and to see how many people around the league were really happy and really rooting for the Elks to win maybe even some people in Calgary. Um, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's important, I think, just, just because, it's, you know, this, this, this thing is over. A 22-game home losing streak is awful. And it, it's, such a, it's been such a tough time for this organization to find their footing. And I think now, you know, the last couple of weeks, they've kind of maybe the waters are much calmer, uh, both inside the organization and, of course, on the field and the noise around it. But, it, it was it was pure joy last night. They won two in a row now for the first time in, in in a couple of years, and I'm not saying they're in the playoff race necessarily, but they're positioning themselves that they could be, and they're giving themselves, as I called it before the game, an opportunity to give themselves another opportunity. Well, I think this thing exists a week from today in Calgary on Labor Day. Uh, Dave, I, I know it's a team sport, and there's a lot that goes into that, but how much? of this Elks turnaround this season, in your mind, goes to the play of Trey Ford at quarterback? I, I think it, you, you can't ignore it. You can't ignore the impact that he has had and the excitement that he brings, the confidence that he brings. And, you know, we saw him help the Elks to a 22 nothing lead over the Bombers before they ended up blowing that lead and losing. But uh, I think since then, um, I, and i got to credit Jerry Jackson as well, who was named the offensive coordinator during the bye week about a month ago, uh, replacing Stephen McAdoo, who got moved as an advisor to the defense. So that shows you how far he fell down the pecking order. But I think it was Jerry Jackson that pushed for Trey Ford to get a look. And I know he likes Taylor Cornelius. I know he likes Jarrett Daggy. And at the time, he said, we're going to give Trey Ford and Jarrett Daggy more of a look well we haven't seen Daggy play we've seen Trey Ford play and I think Jerry Jackson has managed Ford very well by just saying we're going to give you the plays that you're comfortable with and we're going to let you be you um, obviously there are keys he has to follow and I think overall you look at the the body of work I mean he's only he's only complete he only had 18 attempts yesterday uh, the previous game he had 18 the previous game against uh, Winnipeg he had 16 uh, so that's a low number, but what he's executing, he's doing it at a high efficiency. You know, it's ridiculous. I mean, he had, you know, the, the quarterback rating system that the CFL uses like is like the NFL, uh, and it's a little confusing, but 
the, the highest number that you can get on that QB rating is 158.3. Trey Ford was 158.3 last night. So he played all, he played pretty much a perfect game. Um, you know, he is, he, what, what I, when I look at Trey Ford, I look at, a, at, a, at the maturation of a young man who, when he's in the pocket, he's looking to throw first. And when he scrambles, and Ottawa made him scramble quite a bit last night. You know, they were really good. They, they, they put on some pressure for, from uh, Trey Ford, and he kept looking downfield, looking to pass. And when it wasn't there, he, he would take off and run, and he is really dangerous. So, um, so far, so good. It's the third start this season, six overall. He's obviously going to get another one a week today, and I think you, you got to give Jarius Jackson a lot of credit too for how he has handled Trey Ford. We're chatting all things Edmonton Elks after their victory at home in Commonwealth Stadium against the Ottawa Red Blacks last night. It's Logan Gordon and Peter Klein along with you on Sportsnet today. Peter? Uh, Dave, I'm not sure if you can hear me. We're still having a bit of an issue here. But if you can, um, what other aspects of the, the Elks game? Okay, perfect. Um, what, what other aspects of the Elks game have kind of stepped up? It does just kind of seem like they're just, for like super in-depth analysis, seems like they're playing better football. But what have you seen aside from the, the quarterback position? Well, I think Trey Ford has made the offensive line play better because I don't think the tackles are seeing uh, the ends that they're playing against pin their ears back. You know, they got to play more of a contained style rush, and that's helping Trey Ford. I think overall, though, that his protection has been has been improved. Last night, you know, was a little tough, but you know, I, again, the Ottawa front six or front seven, however you want to call it, um, they played well, especially their front four. Um, but overall, the old line has played better. They've played a lot better in the run game. They've they've gone out and been able to attack opposing front fours. And uh, you look at last night's game. You know, Ottawa is the number one team in run defense. They allow about 69 yards per game. Well, Trey Ford and Kevin Brown individually eclipse that number. So they found a way to really exploit the, the Red Blacks in an area where they're really, really good. Uh, you know, on defense, um, they got they got some pressure in the second half on Dustin Crum. I didn't think they did a good enough job in the first half, but overall their pressure on the quarterback has been has been much better. Coming into last night's game, they had 14 sacks in three games. Uh, A.C. Leonard has played well. Uh, Jake Ceresna is kind of back to his old form of last year. Uh, and, you know, their linebacking core with Niles Morgan, he's really stepped up in the last couple of games. Their young secondary, you know, can frustrate you because sometimes they, they do give up the big play and they're in the wrong area. But more and more, they're starting to play better. Um, it's just they – have a tendency to give up the big play maybe a little bit too much but you know last night even when they kind of let the red blacks off the canvas a little bit they didn't get um rattled they didn't get uh lose their composure they didn't uh you know let the negative kind of define the rest of the game for them um they just stood with it and that that's important so, you know, special teams probably isn't their best area. You know, I mean, Dean Faithful isn't allowed to kick any long field goals, really. But, you know, last night, if, you know, he was two for two, he should have been three for three. If it wasn't for, you know, uh, either, uh, I don't know how to say it. The Elks weren't all that disciplined, but also it was a very interestingly officiated game by Ben Major and his crew. <laughs> but, you know, the, the special teams, it's not killing them right now. The return game's not, not too bad. Uh, the punt game with Jake Julian is, is not too bad. Their cover units are, you know, they're treading water. 
but uh, I think overall that it's the confidence. It's uh, a young football team starting to figure it out and uh, learning from their mistakes and not really thinking about when something goes wrong. Oh my goodness, it's just going to keep unraveling. So they're they're, they're kind of finding a way to steady the ship, uh, and I think that's really important. Obviously, if we ask the team um, what would be success the rest of the way, it would be, oh, seven-game win streak and an improbable run into the postseason where we take the Grey Cup. <laughs> but for, for you, what are you looking for from this group over the, the back part of the season as we get into all of the games that really count post-Labor Day? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to know. I mean, yeah, seven-game win streak would be lovely, but uh, we got to be realistic here, right? But, again, it, it's... They're looking like a football team that looks dangerous to play now, right? And, you know, they're not the free space on the bingo card, even though I, I hate that phrase because I don't think any team really is. But um, they're looking like a dangerous team. So seven games right. left, can they win five? You know, can they win five of the remaining seven? Would that get them into the playoffs? I don't know. Um, but it would probably show, you know, if they, if they win – you know, uh, five of the last seven games, that means they would have won seven of the last nine games. And that's a pretty good record down the stretch. So, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's hard, it's hard to know, right. It's hard to know what success is now because they're two and nine, but I would say keep winning. Uh, you know, if you can, if you can keep the success up, uh, I mean, everyone looks at the Stampeders as, you know, Hey, there's a chance to win both both games well the Stampeders should look at the Elks and think the same way right so you got to think okay split is probably the best case scenario here or the most realistic scenario but I mean you never know now um but I you know I, I would say the Elks they, they just have to keep playing the way they are and, and, and just continue to improve bit by bit and that's what I want to see and hopefully wins come with that um but I just want to see incremental improvements each week and uh then, then we'll see what happens. But, you know, uh, it, it's harder to find success right now when you started off 0-9, right? But I think what yeah. we're seeing the last two weeks is what we need to continue to see and a bit more down the stretch. Um, uh, there's been When you have a start like this, there's going to be noise around a, a lot of different things, but a, a lot of talk about the potential future of uh, a Chris Jones. Do you think a couple wins here kind of calms that noise down a little bit? Probably it does, yeah. Um, you know, it, it looks more like, and it's taken a season and a half for this team to finally look like a Chris Jones coach team, but we're starting to see that now. You know, and even there's some parts in the game against the Bombers where they blew the 22-point lead and lost, where they started to look, you know, more like the team that, you know, is a, is a Chris Jones-type team. You know, as far as his future is concerned, I mean, I think that's, tied to a couple of things one the new president i mean rick lawlisher is the president and ceo right now but it's interim so he's not going to be the the permanent president president for this team he's going to help find the permanent president uh who will that be when will that president be in place and secondly uh the football operations cap is a factor now my understanding uh, and this is public knowledge that if the Elks were to let Chris Jones go, that only one year of his contract out of the final two years would count towards the cap. Now, still, I mean, that's great, but still, um, that creates a, an issue, I believe. And plus, there's three assistant coaches on his staff, and Jarius Jackson, Stephen McAdoo, and, and Marcus Howell, who's their receivers coach, they have a contract for 2024. And I know there's going to be a discussion led by Rick Lawlisher about the punitive nature of 
the ops cap? And is there something that they can do, not just for the Elks, but for every team in the league, to not make it so punitive if you want to make a change within your coaching staff so or your general manager even? So uh, it's a hard question to answer right now. I would say at the moment that talk is really quieted down because I think people like what they see. And if they keep seeing more of what they've saw, seen over the last two or three games, then that talk's really going to go away. Uh, Dave, just as I asked you about Trey Ford on the offense, I, I'd love to ask you about a guy like A.C. Leonard on the defense and what he's meant. Obviously, the versatility for him to be able to go and catch passes is phenomenal, but the guy's got a motor. He's a tackling machine. He just seems to be really the heartbeat of that Elks defense. Is that the same sense you get up close and personal watching this team as often as you do? Yeah, I would say uh, now that Luchas Grifoy is out for the year with the calf injury, uh, I would say AC Leonard is a good candidate to, or as, as that one player on defense who's kind of their heartbeat. Maybe Niles Morgan is the other one. Uh, but AC Leonard started off slow. Uh, his first four games were not very good. And then he goes back to Saskatchewan on July 6th and gets the uh, sack trick. And then he hasn't looked back since, and he's been really solid. And, you know, you can do anything back there that, you know, he's a Swiss Army knife for Chris Jones. He's a perfect player for Chris Jones because he can rush, he can drop into coverage, he's so athletic. And uh, it's funny talking to a few players last week uh, about his uh, 45-yard catch on the, the second and short play from Taylor Cornelius. And, People are like I had no idea he was a receiver when he started in the league. I said yes. Well, <laughs> you would you would think in a normal circumstance you could look that up on CFL stats, but you can't this year. <laughs> Thanks, Randy and Brody and Genius Sports. Um, so you know he's he's just freaky athletic, and he's coming back off of a, a tough year in 22. He was hurt. He wasn't as effective uh, back a couple years ago in 2021 when. He was excellent for the Riders in that 14-game season. He's kind of back to form right now, and, uh, yeah, he's definitely one of the heartbeats of this defense. Uh, offensively, i got to imagine his experience, the fact that he's still productive at this age. Manny Arsenal has got to be such an important guy for a young quarterback to have. And, look, even for a, a young receiver room at time that dealt with injuries this year, Dave. Yeah, no, no question. And, you know, I think he's just a good example of what it's like to be a pro. You know, he's been a pro football player for 14 years, and that includes the NFL, and that includes the, the Frisco Fighters of the Indoor Football League uh, in, in uh, 2021 uh, when he was out <laughs> of the CFL. Um, he just is so, just such a great mentor, and I think someone to look up to and a leader in the, in the offense and in that room. And, you know, he knows. He knows he's not Eugene Lewis and he's not Stephen Dunbar and he's not Dylan Mitchell or, you know, a Kyron Moore. Or even, you know, you look at the uh, young Gavin Cobb, one, you know, a very good Canadian receiver. You know, he knows he's not that type of player anymore. Uh, but what he is, is he's going to bring his lunch pail to work every day. He's going to work very hard. And you look yesterday, he had three catches for 42 yards, but he had a couple second down conversions that were really important to the Elks to keep drives alive and you look at uh, now he's over 9,000 receiving for his career so he's moving up the chart Uh, he's in the top 30 all time in the CFL and I don't know like we were kind of talking on the broadcast Morley Scott and I were going you bring him back next year and I'm like well (laughs) that's kind of up to Manny I think because I think I think if you're if you're an organization you know what Manny Arsenal brings to the table and I think he's important for so many reasons and 
Look, he's their fifth receiver right now, so he's not going to play every snap, but he's going to play a lot of snaps, but he's going to work hard on every snap. And um, he's been a really good mentor and a good example of what a pro uh, has to do to be successful, even at his age. And don't ever bring up his age, because if you do that, he will will definitely tell you that age is just a number, and he's definitely (laughs) proving it. Uh, Dave, before we let you go here, I'm curious, win or lose, uh, upcoming Monday, Labor Day, against the Calgary Stampeders. Do you feel like there's going to be a, a renewed vibe or a, a renewed sense of optimism around Commonwealth Stadium when we get back to Edmonton for the Labor Day rematch? Well, you know, what was lacking, you know, I go back to last season, even the year before, is you know, what's the reason to get excited for the Edmonton Alts? You know, they didn't really have that player. And they kind of had it last year when Kevin Brown came in to the league and then when Dylan Mitchell came in as well, and they had really good second halves. But, you know, even this year, you're like, what's there to look forward to? Well, then Trey Ford shows up, you know, and he's, he was here the whole time, you know, and just, you know, mm-hmm. you know, didn't play. But then when he finally got his opportunity, I mean, you look at how he plays, and that will get people off their feet, you know, and that will get people excited. That will get people wanting to buy tickets and, and come to the park. So it makes Labor Day very intriguing now. It, it really does. And I, I think, you know, when we're talking about, uh, you know, two teams that have a combined five wins, but if you look at the recent uh, history with the Elks, I mean, Trey Ford gives you a reason to get excited, you know, and it, he really does. And uh, I think that alone is something that this organization can build off of and, and build around him. And, and he exudes confidence from, I think, all phases of the football team. Uh, and I think that's what makes, uh, you know, the next couple of games uh, really, really interesting. And not only that, it's, you know, the standings are are a reality as well. And it, you know, it's too bad. We've seen what Labor Day rematches or Labor Day series classic and rematches with the two teams that are, you know, uh, Edmonton and Calgary fighting for first or second. You know, this is much different. But uh, yeah. I think Trey Ford has brought in a lot of intrigue and, and uh, excitement to this Labor Day series coming up. Uh, Dave, thank you so much for the time today. Really do appreciate it. Uh, really glad for you guys and everybody involved uh, with the Elks organization that you guys were able to pick up a win. And uh, look, we might not be the best of friends for the next couple of weeks, but uh, continued success down the road. It's a better uh, league when Edmonton's uh, in it and doing well. Uh, enjoy the upcoming games this week. We'll chat with you again soon, hey? Thanks, Logan. Thanks, Peter. Looking forward to being in Calgary uh, this coming weekend and for the game on Monday. Take care, Dave. Thank you. You too. Bye now. Dave Campbell joining us, the color analyst on 630 Ched, our pals up in Edmonton calling the Elks games. And dude, I, I think he said it best at the end there. Trey Ford's got to be a reason to be excited about this team, PK. Yeah. And I said this, I think I tweeted it out a couple weeks ago, and it's not even just me tuning my own horn about a somewhat smart tweet. How does Chris Jones sit here today and think, yeah, I, I went nine weeks without even playing yeah. Trey Ford? Like, how is that? How do you get to 0-9 without even giving that a sniff? Like, it's, it, it really is quite surprising to, to see that. But they, they do have it now, and there does seem to be some renewed life um, out in Edmonton. And like you, you guys were talking about, like, they are two points back of the Calgary Stampeders, which doesn't get them into a playoff spot um, as the, the East is starting to, to round into form a little bit with a big Hamilton win. But it's it's progress for an Edmonton team that didn't have any for a very long time, and it's finally just something for fans out there to get excited about. Yeah, and look, I'm not going to try to sell you on back-to-back Labor Day 
matchups with teams that have a combined five wins on the season as um, what Labor Day was when Ricky Ray and Henry Burris were going up uh, against each other 10, 15 years ago. But I do think it's added – if it hasn't added excitement for fans, it's added pressure for the players, and I do think we're going to see some of that come out over these next two games because if you're Edmonton, you haven't sniffed a chance at climbing over any team all season long. And if you're the Stampeders, this tumble – turns into a, a landslide down a cliff if you lose the next two to your a division rival, your, a provin- your provincial rival who hasn't you know, won games in forever. All of a sudden, your season goes from really bad to really, really, really bad. Yeah, to a disaster. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a ton of intrigue in this, and I'm really looking forward uh, to these next two games between Calgary and the Edmonton Elks. We've got plenty of other CFL storylines to focus on. We're going to jump around the CFL. We'll talk a little bit of Elks, but mostly around the uh, rest of the league uh, next as our CFL Power Hour continues here on Sportsnet Today. He's Peter Klein. I'm Logan Gordon. John Hodge from 3 Down Nation joins us to chat all things Week 12 in the CFL. That's next. This is Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today. Logan Gordon, Peter Klein along with you. Klein, we're officially at that time of the year when it comes to the CFL. Yes. Labor Day weekend is here. BC, Montreal, round one, Riders, Bombers, Battle of Ontario with the Ticats and the uh, Argos. And, of course, a week from today, the Elks and the Stampeders from McMahon Stadium. That, after what was a very intriguing week 12, and to help us break it all down, very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Welcome to our pal from Three Down Nation, John Hodge, who joins us this afternoon. Johnny, how are you, pal? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Always appreciate the time, uh, John. Uh, obviously, uh, Week 12's headline is probably going to be the the end of the curse of Commonwealth Stadium uh, for the Edmonton Elks. What did you make of of Trey Ford and uh, his crew up there in Edmonton finally ending that long ho- uh, losing streak at home? Well, it was fantastic. And, I mean, I realize that I'm on Calgary Radio. So, there, I'm sure there are Stamps fans <laughs> listening who are maybe not as enthralled. But outside of the most diehard of diehard Calgary Stampeder fans, I, I can't think of anybody who wasn't smiling, you know, at the end of that game last night. It, it's, a, it's a win that, that those fans deserve. Like, as, as much as fans at Edmonton were spoiled during the late 70s, early 80s, you know, it was this dominant juggernaut team on and off the field – setting the pace for the rest of the league on the business side, you know, winning five championships in a row, all that stuff. The inverse of that has, has bitten this team terribly over the last few seasons. I mean, to go almost four calendar years without a home win, almost doubling the previous long losing streak is just mind boggling. And not only did they get a win, they got their second straight win. They put up almost 500 yards of offense and, what Trey Ford is doing is simply sensational. Like he's he's drawing comparisons to a lot of great players. I've I've heard the Warren Moon comparison. Uh, to me, the comparison that I think makes a lot more sense is the Damon Allen comparison because Damon Allen, at times in his career, was a run first quarterback, and that is what Trey Ford is at least at times right now through 18 passes, but took off 10 times last night. But he is just doing such a good job as a young quarterback of of not only finding explosion plays down the field and, of course, moving the ball with his feet, but he's doing such a great job of protecting the football. I mean, he had no turnovers last night. 
He had the one pick in his first start of the season against Winnipeg, but he has done such a sensational job. There's no fumbles, which is rare for a mobile quarterback. He's, he's not putting the ball in harm's way through the year. And right now, you know, uh, he's not eligible for rookie of the year because he played a little bit last year. You know, he's, it's probably too late in the year for him to be a, a serious candidate for most outstanding Canadian or even MOP. But my goodness, you, you, you think about what this team could have been if they got it right from the start of the season at offensive coordinator and at quarterback. They squandered a lot of time trying to figure those two spots out. Does this, I'm curious about this. Me and Peter have talked about this a bit. Does it make it even that much more frustrating for Elks fans that it took this long to get Trey Ford into a game this season, knowing how well it's gone since he came in? I know they blew the lead to Winnipeg, and, and that wasn't the, you know, the ideal starting point for him, but to, to have gone as long as they did with Taylor Cornelius and now seeing what Trey Ford can do, can you understand if an Elks fan was a little bit frustrated that it took so long to get to this point? I think I'd understand if an Elks fan was remarkably frustrated that it took to get to this point. I mean, that, that fan base has been through so much. But at the end of the day, I mean, at least the, the scene, I wasn't there in person, of course, but the scene on television was pretty remarkable. Some of the videos I've seen on social media from fans who were there, members of the media who were there, you know, the outpouring from people, you know, who were moved. Like, it was it was an emotional experience for, for that community and those people. And you know, I'll, I'll also say this for the people who work in that organization, who I'm sure, you know, are absolutely fed up, sick and tired. And I'm not even just talking to the football people. I'm talking the, you know, the, the media people. I'm talking about everybody else in the organization, the security, the, the, the concessions, whatever. I'm sure they're just as tired, uh, sick and tired of hearing about this dubious streak as, as anybody. So I'm sure they're excited to do their grocery shopping and all that stuff this week in a little bit of peace and just have this weight lifted off of them. And look, I, I think it's certainly too late for this team to, to make a, a really serious playoff run, but it is possible for them to, to at least get into the playoffs as unlikely as that might look even now at two and nine, but there's certainly a foundation here that I think you could look at to say, okay, like this is a, a baseline. This is a foundation that, that we can actually set and, and crystallize a little bit. The roster certainly needs to be punched up in the offseason. One could argue the coaching staff should still be changed this offseason. Um, that's a conversation for November. But right now, you know, as for fans feeling jilted, you know, I, I think there, there might be some of that, especially if this team goes out and, and loses the back-to-back against Calgary coming up. But for right now, I, I would imagine that at Edmonton today, it smiles all around. Uh, chatting with John Hodge from Three Down Nation here on Sportsnet today. I'm Logan Gordon, joined by Peter Klein. PK, uh, John, out here in Calgary, it was uh, another game where boy, the Stamps hung with them and then lost. Um, I, I'm of two minds of it. On the one hand, like they're playing good teams and they're they're hanging with them. On the other hand, three and eight's three and eight, man. Uh, where do you come down on the, the Calgary Stampeders? Well, they're just not very good, right? I mean, this this team. Oh, okay, so we agree then. Good. Found- <laughs> this team is, has found a lot of ways to lose, and that's a cliche. But when you look at especially over the last three losses, I mean, they got hammered in Vancouver by the BC Lions. They host the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and they, they didn't get the Bombers A game or the Bombers B game. They, I'm, I'm not even sure they got Winnipeg C game, and they still found a way to lose by one point. That, that's a, when, you, when you have a team coming into your building 
and playing that sloppy with the turnovers and and you know you know getting getting Drew Brown like not even having to play Zach Kolaris is such an advantage. Obviously, you got to win that game and they don't. And then all of a sudden, the offense has this you know tremendous explosion. And full credit to Jake Mayer, I've been highly critical of him this season. He comes into that game having not thrown a touchdown pass in a month, and all of a sudden he goes for four and protects the football without a single interception. And it's still not good enough because the defense goes out, gives up 31 points, and Javon Leak goes ahead for his fourth punt return touchdown of the year. By the way, Calgary has allowed four of those now on the year. The rest of the league combined has allowed five. So the special team's a big problem in Calgary. The defense a big problem in Calgary. And this team, at least right now, is simply uh, appears to be incapable of playing complementary football. When one phase picks up the slack, the other takes the night off. And, and you can't do that and expect to, to win games consistently. It is wild, hey? Like, this was a, a team that, uh, for, for fan bases not cheering for Calgary, was frustratingly consistent for about a decade. And now, like, you're right, like, no, the, the three phases just cannot come together in, in one game. That has to be driving Dave Dickinson up the wall right now. I would imagine so. And, and to me, when it comes to consistency, you know, that, that is, you know, one could argue that, that consistency is, you know, a skill in and of itself. But to me, that just points to a team that's not very good. Like any team over the course of an 18 game season should have at least a couple of games where, you know, it doesn't matter what you try. Everything on offense works. You're going to have a game or two where it doesn't matter what you do on defense. Everything that you try works or, or, or a game where, you know, you go five for five on your field goals and you get a big return. Like, like every, every phase of the game over the course of a long season, the CFL season is a marathon, not a sprint. You're bound to get right. One or two really good performances even the bad teams, what the good teams are able to do is, first of all, maximize those games. But then when you're not at your, your A-plus game, you're able to slog it out and fight it out. And again, that game two weeks ago in Calgary is a perfect example. They had the Winnipeg Blue Bombers looking like, you know, the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers of, of a decade ago, right? We were talking about how good Calgary was 10 years ago. The Bombers were miserable 10 years ago. That's what the Blue Bombers looked like in that game. And Calgary still could not find a way to get that game won. And when you look at the standings right now, I mean, you've got the Edmonton Elks as, as bad as they've been. They can leapfrog Calgary with a win here on Labor Day, which is wild to think. But, you know, that, that, that two points against Winnipeg, I mean, all the games matter, of course, but those two games, two points that they missed out in that game against Winnipeg are, are very costly for the Stamps. Looking at the, uh, the the rest of the West here, uh, Winnipeg obviously setting up for a, a double dip against Saskatchewan. It's kind of felt that for most of the season, Winnipeg and BC were 1A, 1B atop the West. But combining Winnipeg absolutely throttling BC uh, a few weeks ago and now the Lions slipping on a banana peel against Hamilton. Do, do you think Winnipeg has started to, to kind of pull away as, as the true number one in the West right now? They have. Uh, they, they really have. And that's not to say they're going to win it. BC could still get it done. Uh, but BC, up until this past week, controlled their own destiny because the season series between Winnipeg and BC is going to be decided on October 6th when these teams play their third and final time. They've played twice so far this season and split those two games at IG Field. So up until this, this past game, BC 
have their own destiny in their own control, and that is no longer the case. They're now officially going to need to be one game better than Winnipeg outside of that contest to try to get the, the top spot in the West. And there are certain places in the CFL where I don't think home field advantage is a huge deal, right? Like if, if you're, you know, Toronto, obviously we know the crowds have not been huge there, but you know, Toronto is also close enough that if you're a Ticats fan, you want to make the trip. Or, or if you're an Argos fan, you want to make the trip to Hamilton, right? It's pretty easy to get there. Out here in the West, home field advantage is huge, not only because the buildings, at least in some CFL cities out West, have been packed, but also just that, that logistics of travel. And the BC Lions, I'm sure if you put them to a lie detector test, would say we absolutely desperately do not want to go to Winnipeg in November. Reason number one, nobody wants to go to Winnipeg in November. I can say that. <laughs> I live here. It's cold. Reason number two, unbelievably loud fans, right? And, and obviously there, there's going to be a handful of BC fans who'd make the trip. But there, there's a good chance it's, it's going to be 99% blue, right? So the BC Lions, I do think, have, have taken a big step back here. I still would consider them to be in the top tier of CFL teams alongside Winnipeg and Toronto. But I think ahead of the last couple of weeks where BC has lost to a couple of kind of middling teams, to be quite honest, in Saskatchewan and Hamilton, you could, you could have put those three teams in really any order. And right now I think it's, it's Toronto and Winnipeg as the top two Either order is fine with me. Then there's a pretty significant drop within that first tier before you get to BC. Yeah, it does feel like a pretty significant uh, significant difference going either indoors in BC or outside in Winnipeg in November. That that feels that feels like a relatively significant swing. Yeah, I, like I, I'm born and raised in Winnipeg, still live here, love the city. But if the choice was to sit and enjoy that game in Winnipeg or sit and enjoy that game in Vancouver. Uh, you don't need a lie detector for me. I'll tell you, I want to be in Vancouver for that game. But the players on the field, at least in, in Winnipeg, want to, of course, stay in the friendly confines of IG Field. The fans here want to be in the friendly confines of IG Field. And the BC Lions are going to have to find a way to make up at least one game. And then also, they're going to need to win that October 6th game if they want Vancouver to host their first West final in what I think would be 12 years of this point. It's been a while since there's been a West final out West. Uh, just kind of rounding out the, the West, I, I am obligated to talk about my, my home province team, the, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Are you? Are you uh, no, I am. Yeah. Hey, okay. you, you guys are the ones who gave me a live mic. <laughs> yeah, sure, uh, go for it. <laughs> but uh, Saskatchewan coming off of uh, a win against uh, against BC, it does kind of maybe feel like possibly they've figured some things out. Uh, I I have no delusions that they're going to be in anything other than a 40-point blowout in the, the West semifinal. But what do you make of the, the progress that Saskatchewan has made? I was about to say, you guys got Pete on the air. When's the Saskatchewan question? There we go. <laughs> he, he really he held on to it for a long time there. Yeah, yeah. I save it for the main event, yeah. you know. <laughs> Credit to you for waiting as long as you did. There you go. <laughs> I mean, you have to be impressed by that win over BC. I mean, I don't think you know, a lot of people had had much faith at all that the, the Riders could win that game. They were 10-point underdogs for that contest. you got your third-string quarterback out there in Jake Dolagala. I, I don't think anybody in pro football expects to win with their third-string quarterback in the game. I mean, I, I suppose that's technically what Edmonton's doing right now, but that's only because they, for reasons known only to Chris Jones, put their best quarterback as their third-string quarterback to start the year. But, um, I mean, look, Saskatchewan, I'll say this, historically on Labor Day, 
the Riders have been next to unbeatable. And it hasn't mattered who's been under center for that team, right? Rocky Butler won a a Labor Day Classic 20 years ago for this team. And though the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have won the last two Labor Day Classics, dating back to the canceled season for the CFL in 2020, they've not won three in a row since 1982. The Riders have owned this rivalry historically on Labor Day. So, I mean, the Riders are 5-5 and right now. They've got a really nice cushion ahead of Calgary and Edmonton, who, you know, I, if I were a betting man, I would say, you know, Calgary and Edmonton are probably going to split these two games. So, you know, right there, Saskatchewan should still have a lead. Um, you know, I think people were talking about an east-to-west crossover recently. I think that's, that conversation could probably stop at this point. We're going to have three and three, three from the west, three from the east with no crossovers. Um, as for the Riders, I mean, c- can they get it done hypothetically in the playoffs? You know, if Trevor Harris is back, I think they've got a chance. The thing I like most about Saskatchewan is that defensive line. Anthony Lanier made the transition from DT to DN this year. He's been sensational. You know, Pete Robertson hasn't done quite as much this year as he did last year, but he's still effective. And Micah Johnson is turning back time at uh, in the middle of that defensive line. He's been very good. And then, of course, you've got, you know, Derek Moncrief and Larry Dean, like, like that front unit. To me, is very good. The secondary is fine. You know, Nick Marshall's kind of boomer bust, and then in the receiving core, they've really had some of these young guys step up, like Sam Emelis, a guy who I don't think anybody outside of Saskatchewan and maybe his own family had heard of coming into this season, <laughs> has been absolutely sensational. Like, like, don't get me wrong, good receiver in college, but like, did not light it up in Louisiana Tech and is now lighting it up in the CFL. That's sensational. And Sean Bain, of course, has been great, and Kean Schaefer Baker's back. So, Pete, I gotta say, the Riders—I I think they're—they're they're in tough to make noise in the playoffs, as you alluded to. But if they get Trevor Harris back, or if Jake Dolagala, you know, blows the doors off and just is sensational, I don't hate them to to have an upset or two in the postseason. I could see it. Crazier things have happened. Uh, John, knowing they've got a matchup with Toronto coming up on uh, next Monday, and then they're taking on Ottawa team now just behind them in the standings. How big of a win was that for the Hamilton Tiger Cats over the BC Lions this weekend? Honestly, I don't think you can understate the, uh, or pardon me, overstate the victory that Hamilton had here. This is a game that I don't think anybody expected them to win, right? They were 10 point, just as BC was 10 point point favorites in their win over Saskatchewan, they were 10 point favorites this week at home against Hamilton. And I mean, you know, this is, this is, you know, Taylor Powell has been fine under center for Hamilton, nothing flashy. He's protected the ball. Well, but I don't think any defensive coordinators in the CFL are, you know, losing sleep over the the prospect of playing Taylor Powell, at least right now, but uh, he's been fine. And let's not forget this team when they got this win 30 to 13, a one-sided win of Vancouver, they were coming off a loss at home to the Edmonton Elks who previously were winless. Like, even the most diehard Ticats fans, I think, were asking serious questions about whether or not this team even still had a chance. And obviously, everybody wants to win every year, but there's added pressure when you're hosting the Grey Cup. The Ticats came extremely close to getting it done at home in the Grey Cup in 2021. They're hosting again now, and they're probably not going to get the chance to host it again for another 10-plus years. So there's a lot riding on this year. At three and six coming into this week, you know, again, I think there was a lot of fans, rightfully so, who were considering writing this team off. And to me, they bought a couple of weeks 
at least for right now. We have to remember they've got the Toronto Argonauts on Labor Day. That's going to be an extremely tough matchup. But if they can get through that one, they've got Ottawa the next week, and then who knows? Um, you know, the Red Blacks have, have stubbed their toe five games in a row. They've been poor. Um, that's obviously going to help the Ticats, but, you know, we'll see if this team can continue to, to, you know, kind of tread water offensively. That's how I would phrase it, at least through the air. James Butler was great, I thought. Um, you know, they, they haven't been able to run the ball like that consistently, but, um, you know, lots to like from the Ticats this week. And, again, I don't think you can overstate how badly they needed that game, if nothing else. But just to remind their fans, hey, we know the Grey Cup is here. We know how badly you want to end this 25-year Grey Cup drought. We're still here. We're still working, and uh, we're trying to get it fixed. And the, the, the team is far from fixed, but they're showing signs of life, and, and that's more than you could say from the previous week when they lost it. John, always appreciate the time. Thank you for hopping on with us today. Enjoy uh, Labor Day weekend. It's one of the best in the CFL. We'll chat with you again soon, pal. Thanks. Anytime. Thank you. John Hodge joining us from Three Down Nation down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. And, yes, uh, starts on Saturday with BC and Montreal, that classic matchup, PK, followed by uh, Winnipeg and Saskatchewan on Sunday, and then the Monday doubleheader, Battle of Ontario, Ticats, Argos, and then the Elks into Calgary to take on the Stampeders. Uh, Take out your Saskatchewan bias for a second. What's the biggest game in uh, Week 13 for the CFL? Oh, wow. Um, honestly, it might be the game that doesn't really factor into the Labor Day stuff with BC against Montreal. Um, you have the Alouettes who are trying to kind of separate themselves from Hamilton and Ottawa and appear to have successfully done so. And now they are, albeit with uh, a game in hand, but just four points back of Toronto for, for top spot in the East Division. Um, and you see on the other side, BC, they are going into a, a weekend and a couple of weekends here where I think, well, John was maybe um, helping me out a little bit with optimism around Saskatchewan. <laughs> it does, smart Money says Winnipeg's going to go 2-0 in their next couple of games, so BC has to, to try to keep pace as best as they can. So I, I think that is a huge game for both second-place teams. Like, obviously, the, the rivalry games are a whole lot of fun, and out here in Calgary, it means a whole lot. But I, I think in the, the grand scape of the league, as I stumble over my words, um, a fifth-place team potentially catching a fourth-place team doesn't really have the, the same merit, but I, I think BC and Montreal both have a lot to play for here down the stretch to kind of, for, for Montreal, try to move into that, that big tier and for BC to try to stay into that top tier, yeah, top of the CFL. Uh, he's Peter Klein. I'm Logan Gordon. We are here live at the Bears Paw Golf and Country Club. Uh, for the Sportsnet 960 Celebrity Golf Tournament, having a great afternoon out here. It is gorgeous weather. We're got a perfect view of the 10th tee. We're watching everybody tee off onto the outstanding uh, course here at Bears Paw. We've been treated like kings and queens, which yeah. is uh, honestly more than we probably deserve. But thank you to Certainly all the you. great people here at Bears Paw for putting us up today. Uh, really enjoy it. We'll try to uh, we'll tell you more about uh, the afternoon and uh, really this is the kickoff for us, PK. And mm-hmm. to, What's going to be a very busy fall as hockey is just around uh, the corners here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.